the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Welcome to XR Star, your monthly podcast where we talk all things extended reality. I'm your host, futurist Amelia Coleman. This month, we're talking about XR and the future of AR glasses. Companies like Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Samsung are all working on new mixed reality and augmented reality glasses set to hit the market between 2023 and 2027. While VR will continue to play a growing role in enterprise and entertainment, some of these big companies are betting that AR glasses are the way to reach the masses, becoming personal technology devices as opposed to shared devices, and offering a heads-up, hands-free experience. One of the things that is vital to the success of AR glasses will be its ability to move the processing from the device into the cloud. Currently, glasses have to do the processing on the headsets, which means that they can be bulky, cumbersome, and unattractive. But by 2025, over 50% of the world will have access to 5G, edge, and cloud computing, making it much easier to imagine stylish, lightweight glasses being used in our daily lives. This will bring down hard material costs as well as bring up competition, which means that prices will come down. One thing we must consider, however, is privacy and security. What happens when we are all walking around with cameras on our faces all the time? The idea of being unknowingly filmed is a scary one. Also, how will we interact with these devices? Through voice and gesture, eye tracking, If we're all walking around the streets talking to ourselves and making gestures everywhere, number one, that's a lot less private than clicking or typing on our phone. And number two, I'm not sure if always having the potential for distraction between ourselves and the people we're communicating with in our real life is actually going to help us connect as humans, even if we are stood up straight looking forward and not hunched over on our phones anymore. There's also the increase of personal data we are potentially surrendering to these companies by allowing them to see the world through our eyes. We addressed some of these issues in episode number nine, where we talked about the future of emotion, but essentially the data that companies will gain will be a lot more intimate and emotional. And in the age of AI, this means that not only will these companies become much more powerful, but we also become more vulnerable to manipulation. On the flip side, however, AR glasses are currently changing industries, especially areas such as manufacturing, engineering, insurance, and architecture. In the latest issue of The Big Reveal, my innovation newsletter and YouTube series, I feature Simply Video, who have made it easy for people wearing AR and MR glasses to join Google Meets and Microsoft Teams meetings simply by scanning a QR code. Innovations like these are helping to pave the way for all the benefits and opportunities these technologies can offer. 
To talk to us more about what the future of AR glasses holds is the Director of Metaverse and Immersive Technology at Creative M Studio and the founder of Immersive Capital Matching Tool, Casey Milhouse. Welcome, Casey. Hey, I'm super excited to be here. Uh, You brought up some really great points and I can't wait to hit on them. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being my guest this month. So um, Casey and I actually go way back. We both knew each other in our Shanghai days when I think we were doing something completely different. Um, And who would have thought that we would end up here today, Um, which is really exciting. So tell me, what have I missed? How did you get into this industry? And what do you do today? Yeah, so um, when when we met, Amelia, I was a gymnastics coach. Um, and that's what actually brought me to Singapore. I started uh, uh, coaching with the international schools. And I mean, at that time, you know, coming from America to Asia, seeing this massive growth and explosion in technology, I had you know, this point where I had this deep conversation with myself saying, okay, do I still want to do this, what I already know, like I'm pretty good at gymnastics and not much can go further. Or can I start to figure out what is happening around me? What is, what is technology? How, how is it built? How is it shaping our, our life? And so that's essentially what I've done ever since uh, like we parted our ways in Shanghai as I started to learn how to code, started to learn how to do marketing because I, I was in a program, uh, an intensive boot camp program where I learned to program, but I also learned I didn't want to do that. <laughs> And so um, I dabbled into marketing and there I could use like my, uh, I guess like my, my natural abilities of wanting to talk to people um, and marketing was a way to do that on a massive scale. Um, but then also be able to, to take in what I've learned from the, uh, the programming side and then mesh that together to be able to even do even more with the data. And so back in 2015, I ended up finding myself working uh, in marketing for a virtual reality startup. And as soon as I put that toaster on my head, I was hooked. (laughs) So for the past five years, I have um, been working in immersive technology, either um, in marketing. I also launched my own agency specialized in an augmented reality. Uh, Now I've been working with a company uh, as as the director of metaverse and, and uh, immersive technology, working on client projects, and then also, uh, which we can be talk- we'll, we'll probably be talking about a little bit more, is currently fundraising for our AR glasses materials uh, company, um, and hopefully we'll be closing that within the next three three weeks, and there will be a big large announcement of that. Um, but I'm pretty excited to see how we'll. Our, our paths are crossing again, but also in other ways, like you know, Amelia, you know that I used to DJ as well. A lot of people in immersive technology are, have been in electronic music or immer- and now they're in immersive technology. So a lot of paths just keep on crossing back and forth across the globe. That's so cool. I love that. And, um, and I'm always interested to talk to people who kind of don't come from a technical background, come a lot of creative people kind of merge into this industry. And, um, and from your perspective, what are the kind of things that you've gotten to carry over from your past life into this industry that that make you great at your job? 
I wouldn't say necessarily just like my job, but under being able to see the big picture. Um, for example, I still work part-time. I volunteer with autistic kids, like teaching them gymnastics. Um, and so a lot of the, uh, a lot of things I get upset about with immersive technology are the exclusion of certain people with disabilities. Um, and where people see that as, you know, a, a place to ignore people, I find that as an opportunity for us to actually, we should start there. Um, so people with autism, uh, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, is it okay to have all these things interrupting us when we're talking? Uh, I've met a founder that was creating a tool for autistic people to help them with the social, like understanding social cues in a conversation. So I think there's a, uh, a lot from my previous experience working with children and, and children with disabilities that comes into my mindset and, and the way we need to develop products and services within the AR. Um, and even, even so with that, uh, working with children, I did that for two decades across like eight countries. And so being able to work with many different cultures, uh, but also have a lot of patience, um, I think that helps me work with the scientists that I work with, <laughs> also helps me work with the different teams you know, that project management, being able to, to, to identify what people's motives are and get them, everybody to go towards one goal. Um, I think that has been a skill that I transferred over from my gymnastics coaching into, into this role. I love that. Um, inclusivity is something that I think is so important to this industry. And it's something I kind of can't talk enough about. And I love that point that you made um, about being able to be inclusive to uh, more demographics, as well as being able to help translate um, some of the technical language into language that we can all understand and making technology accessible to, to everyone. Um, one thing I mentioned earlier, too, was about how 5G edge computing and cloud are, are really going to help XR become more mainstream. And I know this is an area that, that you know a lot about. So what are you seeing today as far as growth in this area, timeline, and projected impact? For the past like six months, I've been working with the Singaporean government. Um, and they have a plan to launch 5G um, across the entire island, well, islands uh, in this nation. Um, within the next two years, and so we have parts of the parts of the country that are already fully connected with 5G. Um, what we are seeing now is telecoms and the government having really auspicious goals, uh, saying we want this, we want this right now. Um, in fact, I work with a fund; it's a thirty million dollar fund to find these solutions to implement and then productize and commercialize it. Um, however, the, the expectations are very hard to, man to manage on everybody's side, from the service provider to the telecom to the government. Um, there's a lot of misinformation that is, uh, I guess, you know, people that work in the telecoms, they're getting different information than the reality of putting these products and services together. Um, so that's one thing that I've been struggling with in the projects that we've been working on 
um, to the point where I just got really frustrated. I was like, I need to bring all these people together. I need to put like the governments in the same room and I need to put the telecoms in the same room and I need to put like the service providers in the same rooms and also the funders in the same room. So I'm organizing a summit um, next month to do that, to specifically talk about like the, the challenges uh, with 5G edge computing and what that means in a realistic timeline. Because for us to say, all right, we're gonna, everybody is going to be wearing headset or you know, AR glasses and we're gonna be doing this and this and this and like telecommunications, like just by sitting next to somebody on the, on the train and being able to speak with somebody in London, they're gonna be a hologram. Like we are still really far away from that. Um, and, I, and, I, and I have to, you know, I get upset when I see these like crazy headlines in the news about AR or VR and, and they even get the two technologies mixed up, mixed up. Like that really makes me upset because it's not helping anybody. Um, and I, and I, I hate to be the one that says, no, this is not the right technology. You're talking about the wrong thing. I, like, I, I don't want to be that Debbie Downer. Um, but there's still so many amazing things that can happen. If we look at you know, the, the computational, uh, you know, going from the, the glasses. I'm just going to speak there because I know that space. Like, they're actually quite heavy. They're getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Where where all we're gonna all we're doing now is having it tethered to our phone, but soon we're gonna be able to have the chips right embedded inside of the glasses, and the glasses are going to be looking like a normal prescription lenses. Like that's what our company is working on at the moment, um, and those timelines of saying, well, you know, Apple's going to be launching their own version. Uh, they said like by the end of 2022 and then they backed it up because they can't get the design right. It's not going to happen so fast and it's not going to happen all at once. It's going to be, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. It's going to take a while for us to actually bring these products to life in mass. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I've just recently been trying to map out a timeline myself about when all these products are going to be released. And I know the Apple one has just had us all hanging for years now, you know, and I think also because of COVID, there's supply chain issues and all this kind of stuff. So it is hard to hard to kind of tell. But what um, you mentioned about how people often get VR and AR mixed up. And um, and just wondering, how do you think it's um, adoption of AR glasses are going to differ from the adoption and use cases of VR in the future? This is what I'm seeing right now. Just just even today, somebody tagged me in a post of another AR glasses company um, out in India. Okay, so India, uh, which is a market that I watch very closely. I have clients that are in India as well. Um, they're launching glasses, and get this. The price tag for $799 US. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, there's no freaking way. There's no freaking way this is going to be a mass adopted product. You know, if we look at Apple, yes, Apple can get away with it because they have established themselves as like the leaders in innovation and design. Um, if we also look at like their past acquisitions in the past two years, it's been in LIDAR technology and augmented reality. So they have been building that up. I don't know what that price point is going to be for those glasses. 
But for somebody that's new in the market to give consumers a price tag of 799 US dollar, there's no freaking way. There's no freaking way we're gonna ever hit that like mass adoption. Um, these costs are gonna be way too high. In my opinion, in order to get like a mass adoption, um, it needs to be at least, you know, under 200 US dollars. And if we look at, you know, Amelia, you and I were both in China around the same time when like the iPhone kind of came out and you had all those knockoffs. So if we can find, you know, if we could find a way for a company to come in with this technology to be able to be used with those big guys, but also to be used with these knockoffs, like companies that want to build these knockoffs or build their own sort of AR hardware. I think, I think that that would be the key to mass adoption. Hopefully that's our company. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Here I am saying, all right, we want all the knockoffs in the world. Um, but because of having low cost solution and being able to get in the hands of people. So you in, in, Asia Pacific where I am right now I'm in Singapore like it's the rich nation but smack like all around us is the Philippines Indonesia Malaysia like Laos Cambodia all of those countries that are that have essentially skipped the laptop and are mobile first and so the next step is that really going into putting VR glasses on for them I don't think so could AR glasses be that next step Yes, but it does need to be affordable for them. Um, and the 5G connection throughout their country makes a big difference here too. Um, and I think it's very, um, that, that same outlook is mirrored with, with Africa and the Middle East. Um, uh, those are the markets that I look to first because one, these are the ones that are gonna need the most remote assistance and will probably benefit the most. Um, and two, these countries are also where we could do uh, through our manufacturing and get our reliance out of China in order to to disperse the products all over the globe. Um, and three, I think this is where the innovation is going to happen. So if if, uh, if we can empower and encourage and fund new companies, new technology companies in immersive technology in those markets, I think we're going to see a massive explosion. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you touched on it a bit, but wondering if you can um, elaborate a bit more on some of these key benefits that we're going to see from AR glasses. And also, um, just curious in your thoughts about how we're going to be interacting with them. Um, I mentioned, is it going to be voice or gesture or eye tracking and all that kind of stuff? Um, wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah, so I'll start with, it. Start with the, uh, that vision of where I see us communicating with the technology. Um, I have been telling people and, and kind of like advocating, you know, the, the inclusive angle. Um, I like to study how people, like blind people, uh, navigate the internet. How do they do that? What are they doing? Um, are they using voice? Are they, what other technologies are they using? And um, so this is, this is where we need to look for like learnings on how to do that. Um, the same thing with, you know, um, sign language, those gestures, I think that is going to be a main part in how we're going to be able to communicate with the world around us, not just AR glasses. Um, but we can start the, we, we can see the beginnings of it 
with the, the technology in our phones. In Singapore, we have to tap in everywhere we go. Um, pretty soon we might be able to do that with just our, with just our hands and the biomarkers on our skin being tracked. Um, it might even have to be, you know, I'm not saying it has to be invasive or anything, but fingerprints about the same thing. That could be done with a different gesture rather than putting your thumb on something. Um, so I, I look at these technologies being implemented for us to communicate with the AR glasses. Voice is a big one as well. Um, I always tell a story of, of me meeting my friend. His name is Richard. He's like 55. Uh, I met him in Fiji and he's, he's got MS, so he has a wheelchair to get everywhere, but he, because he can't use his fingers so well, he has to use voice for just about everything he uses on his phone. Um, and even then it's still not that good because he still has to hit a button and sometimes like it doesn't pull up the right thing for him. So he gets frustrated and then he starts swearing at Siri. Um, but the voice also has a big part of it. So, but we, you know, I think that's going to be a combination of those technologies and also with, you know, the, the, the private data that we have, you know, the, the eye tracking technology, uh, whatever visual scanning that can be done on our own face. But then that also opens up all of those questions that you talked about in the intro, um, these sort of like personal, personal data, um, how does that come into play? What what kind of vulnerabilities does that even open up? Especially if we think of you know five G networks and uh, your own personal data, um, what kind of vulnerabilities is that going to open up with another hardware going onto your face? And you know, do I want that information being out there in the first place? So those are really um, really tough questions that people are starting to talk about. Um, in fact, just just a month ago, I was invited by Project ARIA team uh, from Facebook because they're opening up here in Singapore. And um, we did a design jam about, uh, about that personal data. Um, how do we know, you know, is it okay for like the person to be recording in a public space? Should they have like a, a light on that says that they're recording? Uh, what if there's kids around, you know, should they have to immediately turn that off? What do they say when people come up to them? Like, so, so all of these questions, I don't even have the answers. I don't think, you know, we as a society are even ready for those yet. That's kind of the scary part when we think about it. Um, but hopefully, um, as we start rolling out these technologies and, I kind of am happy that it is slower than this so that we can figure it out before we mess it up. Like, could you imagine if we just had global mass adoption and then all these issues popping up, like we wouldn't know what to do. So I think it is a really good uh, way that we are rolling out um, at this point. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's funny when you think about like Google Glass first came out in 2013 and we weren't ready then. And it's like, how much further have we, we've come a lot further in that time frame. But like you said, there's still so many questions that need to be answered. Um, I think it's interesting. One of the leaked patents from Apple shows that they might have a camera that's removable, 
which I think is quite interesting. So it makes it hopefully makes it more obvious to people when there is a camera on their face and when there's not. Um, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I've been talking a lot about recently and it's been all over the news is the metaverse. And as a director of the metaverse, just wondering what is your gauge on kind of the temperature and interest in this for some of your clients? I, I think it is quite, quite uh, interesting. Like a lot of people don't really understand. They think it's like gaming or VR or just AR. Um, I see it as the world around us and how we interact with that in this physical space which eventually is going to be the digital space um, uh, in that sense as well. Uh, like somebody on LinkedIn is like, well, what do you mean? I was like, okay, well, we already have GPS technology. We already have LIDAR technology. We have telematics, uh, which is another way to communicate with our movements. Um, and then we also have like augmented art reality already here, um, very, very near to our eyes. Um, and then we have like the whole like gaming, we have the internet as well. Those two spaces have been pretty much separated. Um, there really hasn't been that much of convergence except for putting on this headset. Um, and I feel that we are very close to bringing those two together um, in more than, oh, I need to go and log on to VR chat to be in the metaverse. <laughs> um, I think when we have like that, uh, the, the, the least amount of friction in order to do that, that will be like the actual um, metaverse. Um, we are at the point now, even with our technologies, we can, we can refract light with a film that is 140th the size of your hair. So if we can do that with matter, with a, with a solid matter, we're going to be able to do that with a gas, a gas sub substance very soon. It's all, it's just, you know, it's photonics and wa wavelengths. And so when we'll be able to do that, like that, we won't even need to have glasses on at that point. It'll just be a specific gaseous uh, mixture. Who knows, it might be like a diffuser that you, diffusion, what do you call those things? You know, that make it smell nice in your house. <laughs> it could be yeah, that. Diffusers, yeah. yeah, the diffuser. It could just be a diffuser that's actually the 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 way to see the metaverse. Um, we won't even need a physical material, it could just be the gas. So uh, I kind of look like maybe a million years in the future. But if we can make if we can make our technology to, to be able to be done in that super small of a material we just need to manipulate the 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 photons and the atoms why not be able to do that in a gaseous uh state so um i think i went a little bit way over the top <laughs> but but i hope i i hope i'm getting people to understand like metaverse is not going to be something that is this or that it is like the both states at the same time um and what we have been Absolutely. doing what we've been doing with you know digital twinning and with lidar mapping technology, even like Google Maps is part of the metaverse. Um, all everything around us is going to be able to be uh, manipulated, moved, tracked within both spaces. 
Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I think. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think there's going to, it's going to take on many different forms. Like when you think about how the internet started and, you know, where it is today and where it's going, you know, I mean, it, it changes every couple of years and, um, and it changes and evolves in hopefully kind of a natural way. Um, and you also made a good point earlier about how adoption is not necessarily moving as fast as technology. So it is really up to, you know, people in this industry to give the vital use cases and to make sure that there is an audience that gets value out of having these exchanges and interactions. And we're starting to see that, you know, I think um, one of the ways the metaverse is going to start to come into practice is very subtly through social media applications that we already use, you know, like I can see Facebook inviting us to go into a group that we belong to into a live chat or, you know, the Instagram, like virtual try-ons, all those kind of things. And then all of a sudden you realize that you're a part of it. And, um, and I think for people who are prepared for the friction of the metaverse, it'll be quite surprising when they realize how they're actually already in it. <laughs> um, and, and question for you. So for companies who understand this idea of the metaverse are interested in it and say, okay, I want to get involved now. What, what's your advice to them? I would say like just reading up as much as you can or attending different events where the speakers, like the, the expert speakers are speaking on the subject. Um, be wary of any headline that is going out. Uh, know who wrote it, where they're getting their facts. Um, maybe they have another motive for writing that as well. Um, and I say that just because there's a lot of people that, you know, say they are in AR, VR, or the metaverse, but they're kind of just jumping on a hype train. <laughs> so that that's the first thing that I would say for anybody that wants to get in, you know, there, there are plenty of experts around that have been in these industries for over a decade and where metaverse was not even the word. <laughs> it was kind of just talked about as like the immersive experiences, I guess you would say. So um, be very wary of, of what type of information that you are taking in, but there are trusted individuals uh, I, I don't want to name them all, but because <laughs> I don't want to leave anybody up. But there's plenty of, of expert people, uh, either on LinkedIn. Uh, some of them are writing for, for some really great publications. Um, there's a lot of events coming out when you see people that have been around for more than five years. Definitely try to attend those types of events to, to gain, gain knowledge in the space before before saying anything online. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's pretty funny. I had a, a friend of mine who comes from like the nightlife industry and they're like, we want to build a metaverse. And I was like, well, you don't build necessarily build a metaverse. It's already there. You become part of it. <laughs> so, so I think that is the, the main thing is, you know, the metaverse is here for everybody. Everybody's welcome. You just need to get in it. You don't need to build anything new or anything like that. You just have to find your place within it after you understand it a little bit more. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier some concerns kind of around privacy and security. 
when it comes to these glasses and headsets. Um, wondering if there's any particular risks that you're looking at and, and how do you think companies are likely to address these concerns? Yeah, so part of our um, part of our product our offering is a software, it's an SDK that plugs into any system that allows for personalized content based on the viewer. Um, so for this, for us, the, the personal protection and data privacy is a really big issue for us. We still, we have no idea how we're going to tackle it, um, but we do see it as a big opportunity for anybody that partners with us. For example, um, for, for example, for like a retail, a retail store, like you walk in a store, Maybe you're looking at some clothes and you'll be, you'll be able to check out some of the reviews on a, on a specific item. Or maybe it will give you recommendations for another piece of uh, like another product that may be good, a good fit for that. Um, but maybe perhaps it also takes into your consideration what type of like what sizes you are wearing with that with that brand, because not all brands have the same sizing. Um, and so wonder i'm still trying to we're still trying to navigate what what company is in control of that are they going to be using that data properly um is this going to be like a closed network or is this you know for for our company is this something that's going to be a, a shared network of personalized data at, at this time like as a consumer i want to say no i don't want anybody knowing my my uh data but then again if I can have a personalized, customized service that's not intrusive, I want that as well. <laughs> um, so there are so many, I guess, roadblocks and challenges ahead just for, for our company. And one of our biggest markets is China. Uh, for, for people that are, have been watching some of the movements with ByteDance, we had them acquire a VR company recently. But then the Chinese government also took one of their board seats. One of three board seats is the Chinese government uh, for ByteDance. And so that shows me that they're trying to have more control of the consumer technology, um, which me as, as an entrepreneur, I want to stay clear of that as much as possible. <laughs> and, and that's another issue as well, like, where do governments fall into this data protection as well? Like if, if you know, the, the European Union did something similar to what uh, happened with the Chinese government and ByteCounts, is that okay? Or is that like, is that the government trying to protect the people or is that the government trying to control the people? Those are different narratives that could be seen on both sides. And I, I can see that, um, but as somebody that's building these technologies too, I need to be very mindful and uh, uh, very cautious moving forward. And, and, and that's why it's gonna take a lot of time to actually get to our goal. Sure. sure. I mean, one of the I mean, things, of I, was, things I, was I was looking at with was China, looking they, at actually China. they actually have the have biggest, the user, biggest group user group of interest, of interest in virtual reality and the metaverse I think it's like 78% of the population are interested in it, which is higher than any other country. But I think it is going to develop differently than the metaverse is going to develop in the West, simply because of that regulation and government oversight, you know, things like user-generated 
user-generated content, which I think are going to be kind of a mainstay of metaverse and the West, potentially is going to be a little part of it. Of in, it, the east, in the east, um, where maybe live where events, maybe live and, events brand and brand activations are going to be a much bigger part. Much bigger so, part. I mean, that's a so, I mean, really that's interesting thing really to start to consider, too, because, because just right there, you know, the metaverse isn't one thing, thing yet, you know? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so, yeah, so, so question so for you, sort of, you, sort of looking at all the looking brands all the that are going to start to play, play in this space, in this do you space? have, you are you placing your bets anywhere? Do you think that there's going to be a forerunner in the future of, in this, future of this industry? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> to be honest, I have no <laughs> idea. Um, I, I tend to follow where the money is going um, for, for that, you know, I also follow the acquisitions, like, ooh, Facebook just announced that they're going to be hiring 10,000, you know, people in, in Europe, like that's only Europe, they said. Um, and so yeah. is this like, is this something where they're trying to acquire a lot of the talent so that there isn't more innovation happening because, you know, they're, they're probably going to get the, you know, attract the top of the top. Um, and then you also have like, uh, you know, Apple is doing acquisitions of, uh, technologies that enable augmented reality, um, not so much virtual reality. I think I can't remember the last virtual reality one. Um, but then you also have Microsoft, who's been doing a lot of acquisitions in edge computing. Um, so, and then you have Magic Leap, <laughs> Magic Leap, which is I don't know, it's still kind of super bizarre, but if you look at who their investors are, Google is one of their main investors, AT&T is one of their main investors, uh, another Korean telecom is a major investor, Saudi Arabia Public Fund is another major investor. They're well on their way to an IPO. Um, so you have these, I think you have these like five different players. Uh, I, I'm still too early to, to say, I hope that I hope that there are enough skilled engineers and designers and people that are interested in immersive technology to keep pushing the boundaries outside of these big companies. Um, because I think if, if there isn't these little guys or these you know, startups and entrepreneurs really pushing it, I think we are going to be in trouble down the line. That's just what I think. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. Um, it'll be interesting to see what companies like Samsung and Sony are going to do. Um, one that I've been watching and I actually like I, I kind of have a bit of a crush on is Epic Games and how they're kind of influencing the market from the inside out through um, Unreal Engine. And they've just gotten big investment from Tencent and Sony and um, and some other uh, some other big companies um tencent are playing a really interesting role they've invested now in roblox too um so we'll see i mean it's it's exciting though isn't it to kind of follow what's happening now um yeah cool so i'm gonna actually sorry i was gonna say i, I really hope roblox takes the win like <laughs> i love roblox like that's like the sweetheart company that i love i watch my children play in it they've They've essentially like learned how to uh, communicate, co-create, self-assemble, build their own economies within without anybody telling them. And I'm like, this is this is essentially exactly like the best like way to teach 
kids how to live and work and play. So, so I'm like, I really hope like Roblox becomes like something much bigger than they are today. Absolutely. And when you think about it, you know, they say, I think 50% of their user base is under 13, you know, and that means that that user base will be in our working economy within like five to 10 years, you know? And so when we think about the future of the metaverse, you know, this, this is the generation that's going to benefit the most, but also they are very much more used to the idea. And that's why I have, I have, um, a bit of a theory, um, you know, could totally be wrong, but, um, I think there's a chance that companies like Facebook could actually get canceled by, you know, Gen Z in the next generation because of their stance around privacy and, um, and data and human rights issues of the future and stuff. Whereas companies like Roblox and Fortnite and Epic Games and stuff could end up being forerunners there, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, I want to no, move on. Some money on that, but for sure. Yeah, yeah. So on my final question, I ask it to everybody who's on my show. Um, what is, for you, when it comes to technology's impact on the future of business and our lives, what is your greatest fear and what is your greatest hope? Mm, okay, so, so my greatest fear is that the emerging markets are, are going to be ignored. Um, I, you know, immersive technology combining with all the other technologies that are available. If that is not brought to these regions, they're going to be stuck far behind. Uh, so that is my biggest fear. But then that's also like my biggest hope is that more, more funds will start be brought through those regions because there's some brilliant entrepreneurs or even entrepreneurs that come from, you know, the States or, Israel or even China and they go to those areas to help build economic development in those areas. That's what I'm like. I can't wait to see. So I'm really excited about that. I love that answer. I think it's so important that we advocate for these technologies to be used for equality, you know, because they have the potential to divide us even further or they have the potential to bring us together. And I think that's why it's so important, the work that you do now. And, um, and it's, really exciting to be able to talk to you and hear your views on this today. So thank you so much. Um, where can our users get in touch with you or follow you? Yeah. So best place is LinkedIn. So Casey Lane Millhouse. Um, but I also like to use Twitter every now and then. Um, so I mainly follow gymnastics people and, uh, other sports, but I also follow like technology and tweet about technology as well. Um, I, tried to stay off Facebook and Instagram. So LinkedIn and uh, Twitter is the way to go. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank, thank you, you all of you at home for listening and watching. And I look forward to seeing you next month. Take care.